Hello, and welcome to this edition of the EV Revolution Show audio podcast. With your host, Kenneth Bocor. This is episode 51, recorded on September 18th, 2023. This episode of the EV Revolution Show is sponsored by File Sanctuary. Need a great web host for your business? Need to get email at yourdomain.com? They provide professional, feature-rich web and email hosting for any project you have in mind. Get started today at filesanctuary.net forward slash cloud and save 10% with promo code EVREVSHOW. All right. Hello there. and Welcome to this edition of the EV Revolution Show audio podcast. As you heard, my name is Kenneth Bacor, your host, and I'm always excited to be interviewing people on these audio podcasts because I do scour the planet for smart people that are involved in the EV electrification, automotive electrification landscape. Really happy to have a gentleman by the name of Rudy Osterman. He's the vice president and chief technology officer for Global Automotive. TE Connectivity is the world's leading provider of connectivity and sensor solutions. Their broad range of products enable advancements in transportation, industrial applications, medical technology, energy, data communications, and the home. With nearly 80,000 employees, including 8,000 engineers, working alongside customers in approximately 140 countries, TE Connectivity exists to create a safer, sustainable, productive, and connected future. How are you, Rudy? Welcome. Thank you, Kenneth, and I'm glad uh, that I can be part of this show. Um, I'm very good, and uh, good evening from uh, Tokyo tonight. And you're in Tokyo. Great. Well, you know, we won't go down a rat hole because we, we, we went to Tokyo in August for two weeks, and I absolutely loved, loved, loved it. So um, our first time there is a family vacation. We haven't done anything for a while, and I would love to go back. So I envy that you're in Tokyo. Yes. Yes, I'm due to go back to EMEA. Uh, on this new job as a as a global CTO for automotive business, um, and uh, yeah, that's a very nice start uh, with this uh, software defined vehicles uh, yeah. and the stuff we have around us and the movements we have in the automotive market. Yeah, and that's kind of what I wanted to talk about: is pick your brain and get your expertise on what you've, you you're seeing going on in the electric automotive electrification market space. So let's maybe start talking about that. You know, we hear a lot about the software defined vehicles and obviously very pertinent to EVs and not only EVs but more so there what how do you want to start this conversation what do you want to talk in that uh, context first yes kind of like the eye-opener for me was a recent auto show in China I think it was the Shanghai uh, auto show where we could observe that um, a lot of the legacy OEMs were not frequently frequented as much as before by the customers. Instead, they were going to the, in this case, Chinese OEMs, uh, who would be able to deliver completely different customer experience uh, with their cars. And this was very attractive or is very attractive to the Chinese customers, which means that the software-defined vehicles is providing a different feeling for them. And um, I, I don't really think that this was politically, politically, it was really something what the, what the people felt, what a modern car is, 
and that is a software-defined vehicle. Would you say Tesla may have been one of the forefathers or one of the the, you know, the catalysts to start this? Because you know, with their Model S that was introduced back in 2012, you know that that skateboard platform, you know, more more of a computer on wheels that a lot of people talk when they talk about Tesla. Yes. I own a Model Three, absolutely love the vehicle. So, um, is that kind of where you think some of that genesis may have started from? Yes, and I think Tesla was uh, really breaking the ground um, with their autonomous driving, mm -hmm. right? Which is also, you can only do it if you have a software-defined vehicle. So, so you have a different architecture, which you can see already in a, tes in a Tesla. Um, you have the, the ownership of the uh, software of the entire car as one of the differences to the legacy OEMs. And uh, with the software ownership, of Tesla, for example, you can drive it uh, completely different and you have completely different uh, ways of, of designing the cars and, and doing it. And, and we have seen it in, in teardowns of a Tesla that, uh, for example, they have already highly electronic driven uh, power distribution boxes, which again offers some additional opportunities. So yes, Tesla is, is, was groundbreaking. What I love about the new vehicles, and it's maybe not only China, but there we see it the strongest, mm -hmm. is actually that um, it's not only the autonomous driving, it is the connectivity, which is, of course, easy to do. You don't have to take off your, your phone off the pocket. You will be connected, right? And the connectivity is as good. So it's not only a question of the car, but also of the, of the data infrastructure. Mm -hmm. um, uh, the connectivity is that good so that your wife can or your partner can sit on the passenger seat and can watch the, the family drama or the, the movie, which is uh, which she likes, the series and the kiddies, they're playing games in the back uh, with, the, with their own screens they have. And, uh, you know, the, the screen is coming uh, down from the from the ceiling. So they are a little bit cordoned off as well. Mm -hmm. So it's a completely different experience what these cars are offering and it's actually thinking the tesla idea a little bit further and what i found so interesting is that if we define that as a modern car ev is a given we don't see that with combustion engine mm -hmm. right if we have a software defined vehicles it's of course an electric vehicle and, and nothing else is thinkable so I, I see a seismic shift that, you know, um, from this combustion engine to software-defined vehicles. And I also believe that that will propel um, the use of EV cars further on. Yeah, exactly. And is that because of, of the amount of power that's required for the different elements in a software-defined vehicle, that it's much easier when it's an all-electric vehicle to to you know, to have that power available to do the things, some of the things that you mentioned? Yes. It, it's also kind of like the modern way of making a car, mm -hmm. right? It's, it's uh, it, you know, when I was young, it was about horsepower. It was about acceleration. Mm -hmm. It was about displacement. It, you know, in, in North America, you have the muscle cars. Yeah. Um, I'm German. Of course, we have our pride in our cars. and <laughs> But it has shifted, right? It has shifted. And um, these elements are not anymore so important. Of course, still there are people liking that. 
But you have new elements uh, instead, which have a lot to do with connectivity, with convenience, uh, with with being able to go into the first uh, podcast, if you like, while you're on wheels and driving in uh, in, a, in a bigger city and you, you are connected, you get the latest information. So I think the real shift is in the is at the customer, how they perceive the vehicles, how they want the vehicles. And somehow I cannot imagine that you can have a software-defined vehicles with a combustion engine. It's not modern anymore, right? It's, it's, mm -hmm. it's not hip anymore. It's not on vogue anymore. It's, it's, uh, it's really shifting, I feel. Yeah, no, I totally agree with you. I mean, you know, I've heard, um, you know, comments about some of the EVs now, they're almost living rooms on wheels, right? As you mentioned, with some of the amenities that you can yeah. do, again, because of the that skateboard design with the flat floor, a lot more interior space that's available to the occupants and for car yeah. designers, automotive designers to do a lot more into that. Yeah. Um, you know, we never really saw... If you look at Hyundai as an example, where they're they're putting in these comfort seats that you when you're you know when you're charging you can pretty well lay back right and then a nice mm. resty uh, uh, resting easy boy kind of things or lazy boy things so you know that was kind of unheard of they had them in the, really some of the high end vehicles in the past but yes. not in every day mm -hmm. so things these kind of yeah. creature comforts the i seven with the big TV that you know comes down from the ceiling and you can immerse yourself in an experience I mean these mm -hmm. are things we've never had before. Exactly, we never had before, and it's actually um, the ideal playground for for newcomers, right? We have a shift to electric vehicles. Of course, it's still complex, but I I think it's a little bit easier to do an EV than to do a car with combustion engine, mm -hmm. right? Um, which is uh, more complex. Uh, it's a mix of of uh, mechanical and electronics, and EV is a little bit more straightforward. I don't want to neglect all the complexity still in there, but in comparison, I think it's a little bit easier. So newcomers can do it uh, in, in, a, in a more easier way. And you also can kind of like start up with, with uh, some less capital if you want to do it. So hmm. you can demonstrate this agility and this combined with the, with the software power we can generate in these days, that is really driving and triggering this, this, this difference. Um, in, in the customer behavior. But what, what's really important or what's really interesting, I believe from now on is, yeah, we have seen it, it's taking off in China and I'm sure not only China, but also Vinfast and others, mm. they, they will go to the traditional markets and uh, uh, like in Germany, there was an auto show kind of like, uh, I, I think it was two weeks ago and the news was covering a lot, um, these newcomers, these new companies. Mm -hmm. um, and the interesting point is now to come, is that going to be accepted and bought by the customers, right? Do they really want that also in those traditional markets? Or is it going to be a little bit different and they tend to be more with the traditional OEMs? Um, it does not mean the change will not come, but it's a little bit um changing the speed, mm -hmm. how fast the change will come. So the more they will adopt the, the new comers, the more the, the bigger the pressure is on the traditional one. This is how it goes, right? Yeah. And then uh, the competition is on and the, the traditional ones, I think eventually will, will of course survive, but they will have a hard time to, 
to uh, turn the ship around and and to uh, adjust more to the market needs. No, absolutely, and uh, th that agility is a key factor in this new landscape. You know, especially that EVs are providing. One last uh, point uh, I wanted to add on the software defined is or question: Would you say that? The emergence of over-the-air updates is a key feature of the software-defined vehicles. That's some, again something we didn't have in the past. I mean, you could take your vehicle into the dealer and get the nav updated, or get a SIM card or something, or you know, a card to, to do that process. But you know, if I use Tesla as an example, I have features in my vehicle now that I didn't have when I purchased the vehicle three years ago. Mm -hmm. You know, there are things that it, it it provides and it can do that didn't it didn't do before. Um, yes. and, you know, kind of like us, you know, that the vehicle gets better with age. I, I hope, I hope we are. <laughs> so, uh, you know, that's something that is newer, right, to the marketplace, and is that helping to to drive that as well? Yes, I, I think so. That that is a, a strong thing. Um, I, I remember a few years ago, um, you know, I experienced again in China that um, the, the guys have a navigation system. The, the, the people who are driving fancy cars, uh, Western cars with a navigation system, but not using it. Why? Because also the infrastructure is changing so fast. Nobody will go to a dealer for getting an update on, on the software, right? Your mobile phone was providing that service already, mm -hmm. right? So then this, this you know, the simple thing like updating the maps, getting the latest traffic information directly into the car and knowing where the construction site is and, and what the better way is. And that um, also remembering how good the infrastructure, for example, in Shanghai is, then, you know, it all makes a lot of more sense, right? It's yeah. still crowded though, right? It's still absolutely crowded there, and you know the, the best uh, the best software defined vehicle won't help you <laughs> if you are in a big traffic jam. No, hundred percent for sure. So I, you know, I, I think you've given us a good um, you know peeling away some of the layers about that. That kind of where you know EVs have have come from in that software defined vehicle space, and you know how they how they've complemented that and added even more. Um, technology and growth and i know there's mm -hmm. tons of r d you know we we lightly skimmed over autonomy because again that's a big up and coming um uh, goal by a lot of the oems uh you know the problem with that is we still don't have regulatory legislative uh and other you know entities insurability risk management about you know the whole autonomy uh, vehicle autonomy market space in place yet yeah. to support it so and you mentioned the connected cool. side so um, any, any final thoughts on that? Yeah, I think we have seen a few years ago there um, the, the autonomous driving, there was a big hype about it, right? Mm -hmm. and, uh, and Tesla was, I think, leading that also with their capabilities um, of doing so. But we also have experience that this, uh, this has slowed down a little bit. Yes. Uh, in in the in the execution of it, it's still there and it will come, but uh, a little bit slower. Mm -hmm. And that's why why it is also so interesting to see what's happening in the market, because it's not only about autonomous driving; it's about all the other features as well. So I think what we will see is that not uh, autonomous driving is actually pushing the software-defined vehicles. Um, it is the the other features, the connectivity. 
um, the the uh, the data you can get on board and, and the mm -hmm. features you, you can play with that. Um, so that will be there and autonomous driving will come. I think soon we will see level three, uh, kind of like the first vehicles are getting approved uh, on level three. So that's good. So this will evolve. This will go on um, to even enhance it further. But I don't expect that this will be very fast autonomous driving that we will see in a year or in two, that we will not touch the steering wheel uh, anymore and every day. Right. Will so, AI um, help maybe speed that up? What, what's your thoughts? Maybe, on that? Mm -hmm. maybe, maybe it will um, in the learning. Um, yeah, uh, I, I'm a little bit uh, wondering. Uh, AI needs data, mm -hmm. right? AI yes. needs a lot of data. And uh, um, data for autonomous driving is available, but is it really available for the high quantity to give a proper teaching mm -hmm. to the AI system to be a better, to be a better um, solution for it, right? Mm -hmm. um, but I have seen, uh, I think it was one of the, the uh, LinkedIn things from Bill Gates, who was showing um, an autonomous driving vehicle with a different concept. So it was not about having everything programmed and getting the most detailed maps uh, available. It was about how to react in a certain situation. Yes. So this, this software they, they used, I think it was in London, uh, was of course with a lot of uh, computing power, mm -hmm. but it was more kind of like situational. Um, not everything is programmed, not everything right. is set uh, as, as a prerequisite. It's more kind of like how do I react or how does the software react in a specific situation? Mm -hmm. And and this looked quite promising because um, maybe we cannot define the entire world in a software for mm -hmm. autonomous driving. But maybe we can get to the point where we can react to all the information we have at that point in time and what is the best thing to do. Yeah, uh, I mean, we could talk about this for hours and, and so I'm, I'm going to move, move it along. But I will say, you know, I, I'm, I'm with you. I'm a little hesitant on AI. There, there needs to be a large foundation there. And, you know, there's something to be said with human intuition, human experience that we have. We have all this knowledge, you know, I've been driving for 45 years and I find that many times I just react. I don't think I just react because we've gone through those experiences. Some of it is muscle memory. I get that. But, you know, we'll see a circumstance that doesn't appear at that point in time to be threatening or a risk in any way, but it'll be unusual. It'll be something that we're through experience. We'll see happening. We might start taking preventative action without, you know, sensors picking anything up as an example and that's i think where the autonomy levels just aren't there you know they're basically reacting via sensors and and as you said the programming so we got a ways to go correct and and they they uh, we will we will get there sooner or later i'm pretty sure but you're mm -hmm. absolutely right I mean, just the other day i uh, i wondered about why do i know that a certain car in front of me is going to make the right turn or left mm -hmm. Yes. Right? Somehow we you, you sense it. You sense it in the way how the car is driving, a little bit slowing down, maybe a little bit going to the left or, left or the right. I don't even can I cannot even explain why I know that. Mm -hmm. But you know, you almost can certainly say, ah, this guy is going to move mm -hmm. anyway, so I don't need to change the lane. 
mm -hmm. can stay on this lane because he will go away. Yeah. Or, you know, if we're going down a narrow street with a lot of parked cars, you know, I, I mean, I took defensive driving when I was 16, when I got my license and, you know, they taught like expect the unexpected, expect a kid to run out chasing a ball or a dog to run out or whatever. It may never happen. But if you prepare yourself just that little bit, you then you can react a little bit easier than being totally surprised. Yes, that kind of stuff. It's okay. really fascinating. Yeah. Um, you mentioned China a few times. I want to shift gears a little bit. Just talk about China. Um, certainly, you know, in the EV landscape, they, they are a majority player uh, globally in the plug-in market space with well over 40 percent. Some numbers might show 50 plus percent of the market share. They continue to to thrive. Um, as you mentioned, you know, there are policies, there are pro-government, there are incentives. Uh, they really have to get on board and they have. But, you know, they've now emerged as a next generation um, vehicle for vehicle leadership, you know, I mean, I was at a car event, a show a couple of weeks ago um, here in Canada, and people were saying, well, I wouldn't buy anything from China. And I'm going, but you probably have already multiple items in your household and on your person that have been made in China for years, and you're not complaining about that. I mean, they build really good quality stuff. How, how have they become this, this leader um, in this in this area? Um. I think a lot has to do, uh, and it's not only for, for the automotive market, I think kind of like the Chinese society is is either at their peak or just before their peak, right? Um, I think you can compare it a little bit with the, like in North America in the 50s and 60s and in Europe, maybe in the 70s, right? Uh, so time I, I could still experience where it's kind of like it was unstoppable, right? Things mm -hmm. were unstoppable and it was just moving and there was a lot of competition, but there was also a lot of agility. And this is where where China is is right now. I, I think it's kind of like at the peak of, of the performances. This is one, one thing I believe. Mm -hmm. They learn a lot, they have learned a lot. Um, and you know, they, they are making it more perfect and uh, there's a lot of clever ideas and again, with a move to EV, which you can do without having the legacy of the combustion engines and uh, um, uh, you know, cleverness of how to do business, this is actually going ahead uh, pretty well and, and pretty fast. We see some of the new Chinese OEMs, which are kind of like you know, a, few, a few years ago, you were thinking, oh, what, what kind of company is that? Are they going to survive? And now they are maybe part of, of the leading pack, mm -hmm. right? So they have really turned around. They have learned. They are very fast with a new generation. We see it also with our products, what we have in, in the market, that the competition is very quickly on. And, you know, kind of like one year, if it takes a year, one year after you have launched a product, you see already something which is not only a copy it's it's better mm -hmm. right and and you know so this generational thinking is quite strong that um, once you have launched a product you need already have a second one in your back pocket which you can uh, issue later on or in case of cars it's maybe updated software versions or updates here and there and the, the speed is much, much faster than what, what we know in the traditional markets from the traditional OEMs. 
Um, so yeah, that's, that's that's really something. It's not only from the government subsidies, of course, this plays also a role, but so does it in in Europe, and so does it in North America, right? There are also subsidies, mm-hmm. and uh, the traditional OEMs. How many years did they enjoy a growing China market, right? So this is also kind of like subsidy. Um, I, I think we should not complain and look too much at the circumstances, but look at the products. And you, I mean, th- there's a reason why their EVs are um, one dimension cheaper than what you see on the traditional OEMs. And this has to do with the vertical integration and how they build the cars and, and how they are cleverly constructed and designed mm-hmm. and how they own the technology and, and have evolved a new concept. So I, I think the, the competitiveness of these cars that is deserved and is based on the on the technical uh, development they have uh, done in the recent years. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, their ability to scale is just phenomenal, right? And, and that's where, right. you know, we're seeing that now with the legacy automakers that they're just struggling to ramp up with, with their uh, elect- automotive electrification uh, promises exactly. where their goals are. I mean, you know, GM, we're going to be all e, all EV by 2035 or whatever, but they're they're mm-hmm. still struggling, you know. And, and people that watch my show yeah. listen to me know I'm a big supporter of GM. I do believe in, in Mary and what she's brought to the table and where they want to go. But but I'm just frustrated at their at really the lack of ability to actually start delivering on that. You know, they should be pumping out a lot of vehicles in 2023 and they have it from a, an EV perspective and they've got some great vehicles, the Lyric and now the Silverado, the Equinox, or Equinox, which is a game changer for the price point in North America, but they're struggling with that. And here we see, yeah. you know, Tesla China cranking out 4,000 vehicles a week and we have BYD, the number one plug-in vehicle uh, manufacturer in the world. Yes, a lot of those are plug-in hybrids, but you know they they continue to expand. So, um, uh, you know, what can the OEMs, the, the North American OEMs, learn from China? And, and in your opinion, well, Tesla is also a North American yes. OEM, right? so that's that's. that's Let me your OEMs. Let me put it that way. Even though they are almost <laughs> a major OEM now. Yeah, yeah, you, you are absolutely right. I um, call them the legacy OEMs. Mm-hmm. And and not only the the like GM and Ford, but uh, also the the mass production uh, European OEMs mm-hmm. or the Japanese OEMs, they are kind of like all struggling, and I think they are a little bit kind of like trapped um, because you know if 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 we take if we take um, like the hybrid technology, right? The hybrid technology was developed by one specific company, mm-hmm. Toyota, as yep. we know. This was hip. This was this was a good car, right? And even Tesla got at one point some help from from Toyota um, to make better cars and quality, no question. I mean, they are one of the leading leading quality cars in in the world. Everything is good. The entire supply chain, everything, the entire world was built upon hybrid, mm-hmm. right? They have not done the next step, which is going into EV. Mm-hmm. And suddenly there's even one step further, which is software-defined vehicles. And suddenly, and not only Toyota, I think the, the all the legacy and Ford and GM uh, included, they're in a situation where they realize, oh, suddenly my technology, for example, compared to Tesla, is kind of like 10 years behind. Mm. 
And in this situation, to turn around a big organization like GM or Ford, where they have a lot on, of car lines, right? Yes. Why? Because they want to be more efficient. It's the right thing to do. It, mm -hmm. it is not wrong. But it also means that I have this big car line with so many cars and I cannot easily shift it. I cannot be agile even right. if I want to because I'm not a startup. I'm not a small company, mm -hmm. right? I need, to, I need to retain that car line. And you need, to be, the you need to make money to do that too. You need to have some some yeah. profit to be able to well, invest. Yeah. Right? <laughs> in addition, they they need money to do that. So I think a lot of them will survive. But we we will also see that they are going as you describe it. I mean, they are going to a crisis. It's not mm -hmm. easy to do that. Um, and and if if you see that not only you don't have the software defined vehicles in the same way, but they are also more expensive. Mm -hmm. Right, like like Tesla coming with their with their giga presses, where they change the entire way of of how a car is built. Mm -hmm. And if you look at that, and the Chinese are fast followers, and others too, like Vinfast, yeah. they are fast followers. Suddenly, as a legacy OEM, you are in a situation where you realize, oh, my cost base is is twenty thirty percent higher than these guys, right? Never mind the current and, and UAW strikes that are going on with the big three mm -hmm. that. We could see their cost base rise a lot more uh, if they if the uh, uh, if the union workers get what they what they're asking for. Absolutely correct. And then you know Tesla could change the game again with a single casting model that they're now talking about implementing in the next couple of years. So as opposed to three, you know, mega cast put together, having all that in a single uh, again, the time, the cost to market, the time efficiencies are phenomenal. Yes. And, and as you mentioned BYD before, um, they are they are uh, teardowns of, of BYDs, and mm -hmm. you have these power electronics, right? And they managed, uh, I think it was in the seal, BYD seal, yes. they managed to put eight components into one vertically integrated design-owned component, mm -hmm. one. Whereas Tesla, I think Tesla was at three or something, a few, still good. But then you have the other legacy OEMs, which usually have, I don't know, five, six, seven of these. And the reason is also a different approach to the business, which is more related with, with the suppliers, right? So for certain components, the legacy OEMs, they rely on suppliers. They rely on suppliers to deliver them something because they cannot do themselves. Mm -hmm. And the new ones, the agile ones, Tesla, and also the, the Chinese one, WinFast, what they do is they own not only the software, but also the technology and the vertical integration. So first they make up the mind, how can I optimize it in the best way? And then they would go out and ask, how can I get those parts? But they are not leaving this, this you know, integration part, the, the vertical integration part, right? So exactly. I believe this also plays a big role why these companies are more agile and and why why they are so fastly developing and so good competitors to the other OEMs. Yeah, exactly. Great, great thoughts on that. Uh, I have one last question about China, then we're going to wrap up with another quick conversation. But um, when, in your opinion, do you think China will actually make inroads into North America from an electrification standpoint? Um, is it going to take a massive government change here? 
to to open that market, or how do you see that rolling out? Well, they, they have the first priority is on Europe, right? Mm -hmm. And and they are uh, trying to get into Europe. Yeah. Maybe also because the resistance is is not as big as mm -hmm. uh, as in North America. But I believe in the end, protectionism will 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 not help. Uh, will nobody help? Uh, first mm -hmm. of all, will not stop. Uh, you know, if something is good and it's available, um, then you will not be able to stop it and may maybe only make it a little bit slower. Right. Um, so I believe they will come to North America when they have... Thanks a, again for listening, folks. You can email uh, me if you have comments. Email at evrevolutionshow at gmail.com. You know, Follow me on Twitter uh, at evrevshow. I'm also on Instagram, evrevolutionshow. Um, and and if you uh, have any suggestions for shows, please let me know. Thanks again for listening, and please, everybody good, stay safe. And until the next time, I'll see you when I see you. Right, the vehicle to act doesn't work, I believe, as well as in big cities in, in China. Like, mm. uh, if I go into Europe, it's much more distributed. You don't have everywhere the ability uh, to get the data you need to have, so that everybody in the car is playing. This, this won't work. So the benefit those cars might have is maybe not as big at, in the, to, to begin with, right? And then the next question would be um, similar in the U.S., so... If, if, it, if it is free and they will go to the U.S. and uh, not too many difficulties, will the customer buy it is, is the next question. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, they're making inroads in Europe, as you mentioned, and that's obviously the stepping stones. Um, you know, the, the Geely uh, products for Volvo and Polestar, a lot of them are made in China. Yeah. Excellent quality products, yeah. great products. So, you know, yeah. uh, even in Germany, I believe you're starting to see some, some BYD products and others. Uh, there as well, so they are slowly getting there, and uh, I agree, uh, it's coming eventually. We can't pinpoint the exact time. No. Yeah, and and the world is also changing, right? I mean, there's a lot. For example, in Indonesia, is is a big uh, market yes. which has not been developed entirely, and instead of uh, trying to conquer all the well-established markets, of course, everybody tries to go to those markets as well and mm -hmm. to develop. And let's not forget about India. Um, yes. Uh, uh, and companies, I, I think it's 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 a public information that Mahindra, for example, with a model year twenty six, they will have nothing else than EVs, mm -hmm. and yeah. and this was really uh, a very positive surprise. Um, you know, with all respect to the to the country, if you go there, you you don't have the impression that this is That's the right. forefront EV high technology country, right? Mm -hmm. um, but but the mindset I, I experienced is very often more developed than, than in, in Europe and maybe also in North America regarding sustainability and what we have to do to, um, to save our planet, right? So that, that, that is a strong movement. And so if you have that in mind, it's not, it's not a surprise to me that uh, companies like Mahindra and maybe others too um, in India, they are picking up the speed and they turn also their companies around and yeah, 26 Olive from Mahindra. What, what do you do? Yeah, it's all that's, that's very compelling. Tata, of course, has big investments. Um, obviously, in those kind of markets where two and three wheelers are, are plentiful and are a big market share, there's been a lot of investments yeah. there. I wanted to, to wrap up um, this conversation just to get your perspective on how you see the remainder of this decade 
relative to the transition to automotive electrification, what do you what do you see happening in there if we look at the, the next seven years? Okay, so actually, um, I started working more than thirty years ago, and um, the biggest change was right in the beginning of my career when the Iron Curtain came down, mm-hmm. and we had basically a big shift in in the production of automotive automobiles and and parts for it moving to the east and. Um, after that, we, we saw a lot of, uh, you know, global cooperation and everybody was talking to everybody. Thanks again for listening, folks. Term. You can you know, email me if you have better. comments. Email and we at see in the recent years, revolution um, show at gmail.com. Follow me on Twitter at EBRevShow. Right? So I'm also on right Instagram. Now, in my career, show. between the Iron and Curtain coming you, uh, down and have now, any suggestions for shows, kind of like please let me know. There was Thanks again for listening, and please, everybody stay there, safe. There was an and until the next time, was I'll like see smooth. you when I see you. What we see right now with software-defined vehicles, electric vehicles, the way how vehicles are produced, the shift in geopolitics and artificial intelligence and sustainability, these are really six change points. In, in my career, which is really so super interesting. And this will define really what will happen uh, until end of end of the, the decade, maybe for, for the next 10 years. And as we discussed, we will see that the um, uh, traditional OEMs, they are struggling. I think they will survive in a way, they will find a way, but there will be a downturn. We will get new OEMs, which are uh, shifting um, the, 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 the scale a little bit towards them. There's competition going on. So am I able to tell you how this will look at the end of the decade? I don't think so. But one thing is sure, I'm, I'm very happy to see that now and that I'm able for our company at least to help to shape our strategies and our, our workforce and how we want to deal with that um, to serve the market with our products, but also to serve our employees and our owners. You know, that's, that's a great summary and I totally agree. I mean, it's it's companies that are here today are still going to be here tomorrow, in my opinion. And a lot of people are, are not so sure about Volkswagen, but I think they're big enough and they're global enough that they still are going to survive right. what happens. But you're absolutely right. You know, we're going to have new players, different players, different makeups uh, and much more um globalization that we started with as you mentioned and just a different looking landscape than it appears to have been over the last century basically where you've had this dominance of the the legacy oems it's a whole new world with a whole you know much much easier for people to get into this market if they've got a couple of billion (laughs) just to to build cars they can get into this market and do quite well if they're doing it right yes yes exactly and and um you know, I, I I was kind of like growing up in in my professional career with with globalization. I like it. I'm a big fan of it. But we also have the political realities, yeah. and I, I don't think we will not work together. But there will be some some hurdles, and there will be some camps, right? And and maybe you can call them blocks, as we had in in the in the past. Uh, and we we will see some neutral players. Maybe India is going into that direction, mm-hmm. um, sitting on the fence a little bit and watching, and then uh, deciding what what to do. So we will see all of that. Um, um, but one thing is, is is for sure: the automotive market will will continue. 
actually what is happening is good for our company and, and that's, that's that's good i'm happy to hear that and again i'm happy to to help to shape the future uh in that market well you know that's excellent comments and it's been a uh, just a really knowledgeable conversation from my perspective i love doing these shows because i always learn something and i always learn a lot from experts like yourself been speaking to Rudy Osterman. He's the vice president and CTO of Global Automotive, currently in Tokyo, but based in Europe. Is that correct, Rudy, in Germany? I will move back to Europe soon, yes. Thank you. Good, good for you. Excellent. Well, thank you very much for an enlightening conversation. It's been great. How can folks find more uh, about what you guys do? Yeah, you can check on te.com. That is our, our webpage where, where you can uh, find a lot of information I'm on LinkedIn um, and uh, uh, there's a lot of other social media as well where we are present and you can reach out uh, to us to learn more about how we can shape the future. Excellent. And I will have that information in the notes as well for the show so people can check out those links and check you out as well. So again, thanks, uh, Rudy, for taking the time out of your busy schedule for joining me for this episode of the EV Revolution Show audio podcast. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Kenneth. Thank you for having me. Thanks again for listening, folks. You can email me if you have comments. Email at evrevolutionshow at gmail.com. Follow me on Twitter at evrevshow. I'm also on Instagram, evrevolutionshow. And if you uh, have any suggestions for shows, please let me know. Thanks again for listening. And please, everybody stay safe. And until the next time, I'll see you when I see you.